remain standing for the reading of God's word this morning. Jesus said, be ready for service and have your lamps lit. You're to be like people waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can open the door for him at once. Blessed will be those servants the master finds alert when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will get ready, have them recline at the table, then come and serve them. If he comes in the middle of the night or even near dawn and finds them alert, blessed are those servants. But know this, if the homeowner had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also be ready because the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given us the promise that you are our soon coming king. And so, Lord, this morning, come what may, we pray that even so, come Lord Jesus. God, whatever circumstances come into our life that we cannot control, we pray that you would come. And Lord, whatever, whatever uh, challenge we face, we pray that you would come even so. And God, we commit all these things to you. We commit Pastor Ryan to you this morning, that you would anoint him by the Spirit, that he may preach your word faithfully, and that you may warm our hearts and open our minds to it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. You may be seated. Thanks, Jeff. Good morning, Christ Community Church. Thankful to be with you here this morning. As others have said, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here. And so if you haven't yet, go ahead and turn to the book of Acts chapter 2. We're going to be finishing out this chapter today. And as you're turning there, let me ask you a question. When someone finds out that you go to church, has anyone ever asked you, what do you do at your church? What do you all do there? When I meet individuals in this particular context who go to a different religious church and we have them over for dinner, they always ask three questions of me in particular. What do you all do at your church? How did you become a pastor? And do they pay you to be a pastor? I kid you not, it's always those three questions and they're always surprised that I get paid. I'm still not sure if they're surprised that the position gets paid or me personally, but that's a conversation for a different day. Nonetheless, how would you personally answer that question. What do you all do at church? Maybe you would say something like, we come together to worship Jesus, to hear and be instructed from his word, to pray and encourage one another. There are lots of things that I'm sure that you could say, but the passage today that we're going to look at really provides us with a summary of both what constitutes a healthy church and how that church lives out its faith. Again, a summary that gives us orthodoxy, that is what is right belief, and orthopraxy, what constitutes right living. So we're going to look at the life of the church today, but then the question comes, how does someone get to be a part of the church? And that's what Pastor Patrick talked on last week from the beginning of Acts chapter 2. Patrick walked us through the Holy Spirit being poured out on the believers, and Peter preaches this awesome sermon, and thousands ask, what do we do? How do we respond And he says, repent and be baptized. This is how one enters into the fellowship of God's people. They repent of their sins. They recognize that in and of themselves, they can do nothing to change their standing before God. They stand condemned and guilty before a holy and righteous God. So they acknowledge that. They acknowledge that they cannot save themselves. And they look to the one. They put their faith in the one person who can change their position, who can change their situation for them. That's Jesus Christ. 
They put their faith in him. And so the people believe. They believe in this Jesus Christ whom Peter tells them that they crucified. And then they show their allegiance and their obedience to him by being baptized. He is their new king. They want to publicly proclaim this. So we know in Matthew 28 that Jesus commanded his followers to be baptized. And so the apostles communicated this command to the crowd. And 3,000 were added to the church that day. But now, what does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? What does it look like for these people? Really, the question I'm seeking to answer today is, what does a spirit-filled church look like? That's our focus this morning. So let's read the passage, Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple, and they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that we are gathered here as your people to hear from your word, and I pray that we would hear from it. I pray that your spirit would be applying it to each of our hearts. Convict us where we need convicting. Encourage us where we need it, Father. May more than anything, your son, Jesus Christ, be glorified this morning. Christ's name we pray. Amen. This morning, we need to see and marvel at how God is building the foundation of his church. Three things from the text that I think that we need to be instructed on. And I'll give them to you up front and then we'll walk through them. The first is the marks of a church. The marks of a church. The second is the life of a church. And then the third is the growth of a church. So let's jump into the marks of a church. How does the early church answer that question that I asked? What do you all do when you gather together? Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. What are the foundational marks of a healthy church? Devotion to the word, devotion to fellowship, devotion to the breaking of bread, which I'm going to argue in a moment is communion, and devotion to prayer. They were, Luke tells us, devoted. So this morning, we're going to spend the majority of our time looking at their devotion to the apostles' teaching, looking at their devotion to the word. But that that is in no way to imply that the others are not important. So I want to say that up front. The others are just as important, but we're going to look at their devotion to the word first. Now, devotion is a word that can describe everyone in some regards. We can be devoted to many things. We can be devoted to work and trying to climb the ladder of success. We can be devoted to our families and spending time with them. We can be faithfully devoted over the years to our spouse. We can be devoted to a hobby or to a sport or to recreation or to travel. Good things for sure. But let's glean and learn this morning and be reminded from this passage of what a disciple of Jesus Christ is devoted to. They are devoted first to the apostles' teaching. And what do the apostles teach? The Word of God. Just as Peter's sermon was filled with Old Testament scriptures, and so the rest of our Bibles are filled with the apostles' teachings, so then we too today are called to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, devoted to the Word of God. But if you're anything like me, you've often thought, man, 
It would have been great to have been a part of this church, to see the Spirit poured out and to see the signs and the wonders and the tongues that are described here. But think on this. Today, we actually live in a much more privileged and fortunate position than they did. Thank you. Because we have in our hands the words of Moses, the words of the prophets, the acts and the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ, the words and the teachings of the apostles. We have all that God intended for us to have in this very book. This is his completed word from him. This is what we are to be devoted to. This is the word that God's power manifests through to change lives for his glory. You see, I cannot stand the unbiblical divide that happens today. You'll hear people say, well, that church over there, they're really strong on the spirit. They're kind of weak in their teaching on the word. Or this church over here is really strong on the word, but it doesn't seem like the presence of the Holy Spirit is there. What sort of nonsense is that? What sort of language are we talking about? May we never divide the word of God from the spirit of God. The Bible never makes that distinction. That's a false dichotomy. That's a false choice. God's word and his spirit are always at work together. Think back to the outpouring of the spirit at Pentecost that we looked at last week and the amazing signs and the wonders and the tongues. What's the first thing that happens? Peter preaches a sermon. What was it that changed these people's lives? Was it the signs and the wonders and the tongues? No, those were a means to an end. It was the word of God. Look back to chapter 2, verses 36 and 37. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty, this is Peter preaching, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Verse 37, when they heard this, Not when they saw this, when they saw that, when they heard this, when they heard the explanation of what's happening, they were pierced to the heart. And Peter said to them, or they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? You see, the word of God applied by the spirit of God creates the people of God. That's what the truth that we see time and time again throughout the scriptures. The word of God applied by the spirit of God creates the people of God. And we, friends, are so privileged to have this completed word today before us. And so the question that I'm confronted with as I read this passage, and I think the question that we're all confronted with, is are we devoted to it? Are we devoted to God's word? Not just this hour and 15 minutes here today, but the rest of the week. Do you love it? Are you guided by it? You can be devoted to a lot of things in your life and never change, but that's not true with God and his word. It will change you. Are you devoted to it? Imagine your life is a car. Where is the Bible in the car of your life? Is it in the trunk? Maybe next to some tools and the spare tire you keep back there in case of emergencies? You like to only get those things out whenever an emergency happens. Is that God's word for your life? You go to it when things are difficult. Or is it in the back seat of your car? Much like an annoying backseat driver who's always telling you to speed up or to slow down or to take this turn or take that exit, and you just wish that they would stop nagging at you, you wish that they would shut up, is that God's word for your life? You're feeling the nagging from it? Or, what I think is more common, is in the passenger seat of your car. Much like a good friend would sit with you and you guys travel together, you guys converse back and forth, you learn from one another, but ultimately, you're in the driver's seat. You're controlling where you end up. You're controlling the trajectory of your life. Or is it truly in the driver's seat? 
Is God's word in the driver's seat of your life? Does it direct you and guide you and shape you? Do you need to hear from it day by day? Do you love its truth and its wisdom? Do you love how the Spirit applies it to your life and it causes you to grow into the image of Jesus Christ? Because this seems to be the case for the apostles and the early church. They were devoted to God and to his word. Is that true of you? You see, I'm so thankful to be a part of a church that is honestly striving together to be devoted to God's word. We desire to learn from it, to be shaped by it, to grow from it. We desire to study it with others throughout the week, to pray with it through others throughout the days. How amazing is that? How privileged are we to have this? But maybe you're here and your life isn't characterized by a devotion to God's word. You would say that you love God. You do love God, but it's been hard lately. Your Bible is only opened up when you come here on a Sunday morning, much like the Bible in the trunk analogy. Yours sits on the coffee table or on your nightstand just kind of staring at you day by day. And I could have each of us tally the amount of hours that we spend a week watching TV or surfing social media and then compare that with the amount of time in God's Word. But I simply want to say this. If your heart is now convicted and you have not been devoted to the Word of God like you should, then pray and ask. Do those two things. Pray and ask. Pray that God would help you and then get started. Open up and get reading. If you started a reading plan at the beginning of this year and now you feel backlogged by the amount of ketchup you have to do, don't worry about the ketchup. Find today's date and start. And pray and ask. Ask someone here to help disciple you. Learning from them how to read the word, how to meditate on it, how to enjoy it. Reach out to Pastor Patrick about getting plugged into a group or a class. Resolve to be devoted to God's word. You see, the early church was devoted to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, which we're going to cover in the next section, and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So let me say a quick remark about these two things. This breaking of bread language we often understand to just be today, the sharing of a meal. Hey, do you want to come over for dinner? You want to break bread together? But here in verse 42, most agree throughout the history of the church that it is actually an allusion to the Lord's Supper. A little different from the communal meals they shared that he mentions down in verse 46. Here, it is put in place next to three other marks of the church that are foundational for a church. So the placement in the text is significant. But likewise, in the Greek, only here in verse 42, not in verse 46, it has the definite article before it that signifies it as the breaking of bread in verse 42. So I think this translation gets it exactly right. This is the Lord's Supper or what we call communion. They do in remembrance of him. So just as baptism is the initial sign that you are coming into fellowship with a church, that you are publicly becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ, so the Lord's Supper or communion, the breaking of bread here, is the ongoing sign that you continue to profess faith in Christ and that you are a part of the body of Christ. We remember what Christ has done and we proclaim his death until he returns. A mark of the church is the right practicing of the ordinances. And it says in the end of verse 42, they were devoted to prayer. Praying together is the idea here. Prayers that are public and corporate and that encourage and instruct the entire body. So yes, there's for sure a time for the prayer closet, but part of what we're trying to do here is to grow our corporate reliance on prayer in such a way that we can confidently say that we are devoted to prayer as a church. Devoted to asking God to work and then excited to watch him work. 
Practically speaking, this is why we're starting a monthly prayer service. We're wanting to normalize prayer in the lives of our people here. And we recognize that we need to grow in this area as a church together. We recognize that. But the glorious truth about prayer that we see time and time again throughout the scriptures is this. The sovereign God chooses to work through his word, by his spirit, and answer to the prayers of his people. The sovereign God of the universe chooses to work through his word, by his spirit, and answer to the prayers of his people. God delights in answering our prayers. God, the sovereign Lord of the universe, the creator and the sustainer and the ruler of all things, chooses to work out his providence and his sovereignty through the prayers of his people. How amazing is that? Truly amazing. And as we'll see, the early church's reliance on prayer was a catalyst for their growth. Remember what happened back before Pentecost in Acts chapter 1? As the disciples were waiting on the promised Holy Spirit, chapter 1 verse 14 says they were continually united in prayer. No great move of God that we've seen throughout the history of the church can be separated from prayer. It just cannot happen. It is as the great missionary and author Elizabeth Elliot said, Elliot said, prayer lays hold of God's plan and becomes the link between his will and its accomplishment on earth. I think she's exactly right. God uses the prayers of his people, and we are called to be a people devoted to prayer. So may we as a church heed that call. This brings us to the second point we see in the text, and this is the life of a church. The life of a church. Here in point number two, we see the mark of fellowship that's listed in verse 42 being fleshed out for us. Verse 43 on, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and they held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Think on this with me for a moment. Jesus summed up the entirety of the Old Testament law in Matthew 22 when he answered the question, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? You know what he says. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. As we looked at in point number one, the early church was devoted to loving God with all that they had. And now this section shows their devotion to loving one another. This is the Old Testament law being lived out right before us. All of the prophecies pointing to the spirit of God, uh, God's law being written on our hearts are being modeled here for us as they seek to love one another. And verse 44 in particular describes this fellowship. They were together and they held all in common. This goes without saying, but the idea of fellowship is to have something in common. It is to have partnership or participation in something. So what the text clearly shows is that as they gathered together with one another, there was fellowship. There was koinonia. And this fellowship was grounded and rooted in their common faith. They were disciples of Jesus Christ from various backgrounds and different ethnicities. They came together having all of these differences because they were followers of Jesus Christ. The fellowship wasn't centered just around having a good time or what hobbies they had in common or what sports their kids played together. It was grounded and rooted and centered around their faith. They had conversations about their faith. They encouraged one another 
in their faith. They spoke to one another the truth of God's word. They spoke psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another, as Colossians tells us. But in some measure, the Christian church at large has forgotten to have fellowship that's grounded in our faith. The famous pastor and evangelist G. Campbell Morgan wrote the following in the early 1900s of the state of the Christian church then. He said, It has become very difficult for Christian people to talk of the things of Christ with each other. They meet together in ordinary life and they talk of everything except the deepest things of their spiritual life. And that's not because they have not deep experience, not because they are unfamiliar with the things of God and his kingdom, but because they have never learned how to help each other in mutual conversation concerning them. I don't think much has changed in the last hundred years. We are so quick to ask about work or sports or family. Again, not bad things, but so slow to ask, how is your walk with the Lord? What has the Spirit taught you through his word lately? Where is the grace of God most noticeable in your life? How can I be actively praying for you? I desire to do that. How can I do that? So listen, I'm not saying walk around like a Jesus robot and turn away from any conversations that aren't about God. And I'm not saying you have to Jesus juke everyone when they bring up something else in life. So Dave says to Bob, man, Bob, that was a crazy storm we had last night, right? And Bob's like, yeah, it's like his word says, he brings rain on the righteous and the unrighteous, right? No, stop being weird, okay? (laughs) If someone brings up the Super Bowl to me today, I'll give them 16 reasons of why the Cowboys will be in it next year, all right? I'll pray for you. I'm not saying, I'm not saying to painfully force the conversation, but I am saying if you have been knowing and actively fellowshipping with people in the church now for six months or a year or even two years, and you guys have yet to get below those surface level conversations and talk about one another's spiritual good, then maybe, just maybe, that's a problem. Maybe. Let's be a church that is marked by intentional fellowship centered around God and what he has done for us. Let us who fear of the Lord speak his marvelous deeds together. Let that be true of us. Now let me briefly tell you what this text is not saying here about Christian fellowship before I continue in what it is. Look at verses 44 and 45 again. Now all the believers were together and they held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. This verse is not telling us that the early Christian church was some sort of hippie commune, okay? It is not a text to argue for communism or socialism or capitalism or whatever other ism somebody decides it is. Verse 46 tells us that they clearly still owned houses and property, and even the rest of the New Testament would corroborate this. As this is often where they met together. But what it is doing here is describing a community of love that was marked by radical generosity and genuine fellowship. The text does challenge us. Please don't gloss over that. It challenges each of us. Don't miss this. You see, Luke in his gospel, in the gospel of Luke, recorded more than any of the other gospel writers the parables of Jesus that stress the dangers of letting our lives consist of the things that we possess. This amazing fellowship that he describes here in Acts chapter 2 is the antidote to the deathly pull of materialism that all of culture wants to grab onto us for. So this church was a community 
that sought to live life with an open hand, not seeking to hoard and thinking what's mine is mine and what's yours is yours, but genuinely thinking and living out what's mine is yours as well because they desired to share it with one another and they recognized that all of it is a gift from God. That's what this community was marked by. So this text challenges all of us in how we live in community with one another. What we talk about with one another. Are we getting below the surface level conversations and how we give to one another? So let me confidently say that I and the pastors and the elders are often floored by your all's generosity to one another, big and small. It looks like families making meals to help new moms transition home from the hospital or to help a family while they're laid up sick. It looks like people opening up their homes and saying, yes, you can live with me for as long as you need to. And you know what? I'll reach out to others, see if we can help find you work. Year by year, you all give faithfully to our mercy fund to bless the greater Idaho Falls community and our shining star offering that we took for the members in our church uh, last month, or excuse me, in December, raised $13,000. That's extra giving that you guys did to bless those in need in our body. It looks like families giving cars and clothes to those in need because they desire to do it. I've seen you all time and time again do this. Looks like people coming up to me and saying, if a kid can't afford to go to camp or go on the missions trip, just to let them know and they will take care of it. Time and time again, we do this. And it is truly awesome. In a ruthlessly individualistic and materialistic world, the generous and selfless giving of faithful believers is a beautiful thing to behold. It truly is. You see, churches can often die today because they are not doing anything in which the world would look at and say, there, there is truth that God exists and that he's real and that he's absolutely glorious. Churches can become so inward focused that they neglect modeling what it means to love others well. But thankfully, thankfully, that doesn't seem to be the case here. We're seeking to try to faithfully proclaim to this community, we love our glorious God and we love one another and we will love you too. That seems to be the cry of CCC. I praise God for that. I truly do. I praise God for that truth. I praise God that we're trying to live out Galatians 6, which says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. We're seeking to do good to all, both to those inside these walls and those outside of them. So our challenge, CCC, is to continue in it. Yes, we are a generous church, but let us not think that we have arrived. Let's not get prideful about it. Let us continue to be faithful and to give as the Lord has asked us to. And let us also be challenged in how we live in fellowship with one another. Just as I said, it's hard to be devoted to God's word coming once a week. So it's the same for Christian fellowship. It's hard to be in and a part of the life of the church only coming once a week, fellowshipping with God's people once a week, not being involved with a small group or a class or an accountability group or just consistently meeting with others throughout the week. We cannot have the fellowship described here in Acts chapter 2 only coming on Sunday and never talking to God's people Monday through Saturday. We cannot have it. And listen, I realize that this past year has put a serious dent in all of our fellowship. I'm not naive to that. It's made it harder than we ever could have imagined at times. And so in light of this, we in leadership recognize the importance of community and the importance of the gathering all the more. And in the coming months, we're going to work very hard at getting people more and more involved into the life of the church. And we're going to ask many of you to open up your homes, to invite people into them. We need more people to do that. 
But our call to you is this. When the time is right for you to be here, be here. When the time is right for you to be here, be here. Or if you've been during this time church hopping, going to one church for the worship or another for the preaching or another for the programs, settle down. Whether it's here or another church, ultimately it doesn't matter, but we do want you to be involved in the life of a local church and be committed to the fellowship with God's people there. So as each of us can, and when each of us can, let's be here and jump into the fellowship of this church. Plant roots and open up your lives to others. Get to know others. Live life with one another. Grow with one another. Be generous towards one another. And in all of that, marvel at how God's grace will manifest in the day-to-day of your Christian walk as you seek to live in fellowship with one another. Marvel at that. As our fellowship grows, let's now, in closing, look at how the church grows. Point number three, the growth of the church. Verse 47. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. When reading this passage, it can almost sound like a recipe for success. A plus B equals C, right? Preach the word, fellowship, do the ordinances, pray, and you will automatically have growth. That's what any pastor or elder wants to hear. And there is truth to it, so don't miss that. To have faithful growth and to make faithful disciples of Jesus Christ, one does need to follow the commands and practices that are outlined for the church throughout the New Testament. But the steady reminder as well throughout the New Testament is this, we are called to faithfulness. We're called to faithfully follow the Lord Jesus Christ together. As much as we want to take responsibility for what might be happening in the church or what might be happening in somebody else's life that we're discipling, or even try to take responsibility for what's happening in our own life and the growth that we like to see, the Bible's refrain is clear. God gives the growth. It's not up to us. So as we faithfully preach and teach and evangelize and love, the Lord is drawing hearts to himself. And this amazing truth causes us to do what it says at the beginning of verse 47 and to praise God. Praise God because he saved us and he's in the business of saving others. And when it comes to the life of the church, we must always keep in mind whose church it ultimately is. This is a steady refrain from the pastors. This is King Jesus' church. We are stewards. So we don't want to manufacture anything here. We don't want to try to force growth or say, hey, this is the latest and greatest thing that's really going to push our church over the top. We want to strive to be faithful. We want to follow these marks that the early church devoted themselves to. And if the Lord blesses us with growth, then praise be to God. We will recognize that it wasn't us, but it was instead all of him. It is, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And this idea of the Lord giving the growth, if you look back quickly at Acts chapter 2, it's only reinforced from the text itself. Throughout the chapter, who does the saving throughout the chapter? Remember what we looked at in point number one. God does by his word through his spirit. Salvation is from the Lord. And then who brings them into fellowship in the life of the church? God does. Look at verse 47. He added to their number those who were being saved. He's responsible for saving them. He's responsible for bringing them in. The growth of the church is first and foremost an act of our sovereign God. And in our faithfulness to him and to his word 
And to his people, he often does act mightily for his fame and his name and his glory amongst the nations. So may we be devoted to that and recognize that God brings the growth. So the questions that confront us from this text are really simple, yet I would argue they're weighty. Am I devoted to God? Or is there some part of my life I'm trying to hold back? Am I truly devoted to God, devoted to his word? Devoted to his people? Or is that just a Sunday thing? And what if you're not devoted at all? If that's not you, and you're here and you're not devoted, then we invite you to join. Come and see what Jesus Christ has done for you. Come behold his marvelous works with us together. His love knows no bounds. His grace never runs dry. Would you cast your cares on him? He loves you and he cares for you. He calls on all of us to follow him, to be devoted to him. So may that be true of us. In Christ Community Church, the reality is that by the grace of God, we have been growing. We were growing before COVID, and we've seen people join in the midst of it. Based on the numbers from those still watching at home, there will be times sooner than later when this room is packed once more. Praise God for that. He gives the growth. Let us never think it's us. He gives the growth. And let us be astounded at what he is doing through this local church that we call home. Allow me to read the first and last verse to close us. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. May that be true of us. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for what you have done for us in Jesus Christ, that you have rescued us, Father, that you have united us to Christ so that all of the blessings that you bestow on him are now ours in him. We praise you for that, God. We thank you for this text that shows us the establishment of the early church and gives us a foundation for how church should be, what it should be focused on, what we should be modeling in love to one another and in love to community. So help us to do that, Father. Help us to be a people devoted to you, devoted to your word, devoted to one another. We love you. We thank you for the truth in this passage. And I pray now that for those who are convicted, that you would encourage them by your spirit. They might be more devoted to you. Help us to, to continue to grow and to recognize that all growth is ultimately an act of our sovereign Lord. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.